Big Nasty. Yeah, Big Nasty. Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. Tannin' Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! Buccaneers football is back, but that means it's the hottest time of the year for us Floridians. If you're planning on going to any of the games this year, make sure you check out our friends at Cool Towel. It's an all-natural, instant cooling towel. No water, no refrigeration, no prep of any kind is needed before use. Just take it out of the bag, shake it up, and it's good to go. Best of all, you can use it again when you're done with the resealable pouch. Make sure you check them out online at cooltowel.com, and when you place your order, tell them Red sent you. Everybody outside knows about us. Give them credit, man. We'll see them again. Give them credit. Hold your heads high. Bucks on three. One, two, three. Leroy's after it. Sack by Gerald McCoy. And Williams fires over the middle of Giles. Open 40. It's a foot race. OJ Howard touchdown Tampa Bay. I'll start up the gut. He goes to the end zone. Inside the two. One touchdown Tampa Bay. It's intercepted. And the 10. Going coast to coast. I three, two, one touchdown Brent Rhyme. Yeah, those up the middle. It's intercepted. And the 30. How about those Bucks? The Buccaneers able to pull off an upset in New Orleans, 48-40 over division rival New Orleans Saints to open up the season. And the Buccaneers are 1-0. And God, it's just such a good feeling. I'm so glad football's back. And I'm so glad the Bucks kick off the season by winning on the road. And honestly, it still doesn't feel real. But, uh... We're going to talk about everything from yesterday's game here today on the show. Welcome back for episode 32 of the Cannon Fire podcast here on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play Music. I am your host, Rhett, joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy, Mr. Books Football, Evan. Evan, how are you doing today, man? Doing just fine. How are you? I am doing really good. Um, <laughs> really good, man. First victory Monday of the year, and it's a great feeling. And ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by very special guest, our buddy from Pewter Report, Mr. Trevor Sikama. Trevor, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I uh, just got back into the Tampa area as we're recording this podcast. It was a long trip up in New Orleans, but uh, boy, it was uh, it was an eventful one, to say the very least. Oh, yeah. And I heard you were driving back, so how was that drive? Yeah, it's uh, normal. Okay, so normally I fly to most of the away games that we have. That's pretty standard. But for New Orleans, obviously... A little bit of a shorter distance, it's about 10 hours of a drive, but I got friends in Gainesville, Tallahassee, Pensacola, so I kind of stopped by and see see them along the way. So it's a good trip. It's always a good trip. Awesome. Glad to have you here with us today. So we're going to talk about this game yesterday. Like I said before, Bucks able to pull off the upset in New Orleans, 48-40, to 40, a shootout. And we can amount most of it to Ryan Fitzpatrick doing his thing yesterday. Five total touchdowns. And he threw for over 400 yards. I'm pretty sure one of the best games of his career, if not the best. Um, but we've got a lot to talk about today from that game. First and foremost, how about that uh, Todd Munkin play calling? Yeah, Evan, you want to you touch on it before I do? What would you think of it? 
Well, I mean, I thought it was superb. Um, it, it hats off the dirt cutter, and uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you know Trevor uh, Scott wrote an article. Uh, Scott Reynolds of PewReport.com wrote an article yesterday after the game, or it might have been this morning. I, I'm not really sure. Um, and just said, you know, Dirt Cutter deserves a ton of credit to to hand over the play calling duties to Todd Munkin because after the first preseason game, Dirt Cutter was asked about who's calling the plays, and he said, you know, it was him, it was himself. And then after the fourth preseason game, Scott had asked him, well, who's going to call the plays? And their cutter kind of said, "Oh, that's something we got to think about." And they they weren't. I mean, Dirk has been has been a little has been a little on edge with the media. I'm sure Trevor can definitely agree <laughs> with that. Um, the, the past few days, um, but I mean, it turned out we didn't really. There wasn't a formal announcement that Munkin was calling plays, and we found out mid game really, and it was something to watch. I mean, I haven't seen the offense really flow like that flow so well in a long time and i mean it's finally nice to see all these weapons that jason light has spent so many resources on through the draft free agency it's finally it's fun to see them all get the ball and also how about i mean the offensive line too and i thought the offensive line played well so i mean but the play calling it's such a, a night and day difference and and dirt cutter really managed the game much better yeah, I'll give you I'll give you guys a little bit of just a little bit of media background context to this. So obviously, um, you know, Dirk Cutter, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle for him with play calling over the last two years. There have certainly been things that work. I don't want to I don't want to just like harp on him that it's been all terrible. I mean, Jameis was not as accurate as he needed to be last year, um, even when the right plays were dialed up. And so a little bit of bad luck, but there were certainly some situations obviously stalling in the red zone as much as they did. Uh, that, that just really needed to improve this season. So, yeah, going into the year, especially after hearing that Todd Munkin was going to be the play caller for that first preseason week, I said immediately after that came out, I, 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 was, I think I was the first one to react to the news and say, this has the potential to be catastrophic for Dirk Cutter. And the reason why is because Dirk Cutter is here. Dirk Cutter is in Tampa Bay, and he is a head coach because of who he is as a play caller. That's why he's in Tampa Bay. And if there is somebody else who can do it better than him, not only just around the NFL, but let alone on his own staff, that really almost cuts his legs out from underneath him. And so I can totally understand why Cutter is stressed in this environment, even with Todd Munkin calling the game plan as much as he does. But like Scott, my boss, said, you got to give Cutter all the credit for – seeing how well Munkin called the plays and how well the first-team offense moved the ball during the preseason, going into New Orleans and thinking, I can't mess up that chemistry now. If I truly believe what I say when I say that we're going to do the best thing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what's best for the Buccaneers is not for me to get a brand-new ear in the headpiece of ryan fitzpatrick for the first time in 2018 you know so it made sense there and i think that i think that all credits got to go to him there and monkey call i'll tell you too so here's a little bit of background with that you know you guys found out who was calling the plays because you were watching the television broadcast nobody in the press box knew who was calling plays and the only reason we at pewter report had an article about it out right away was because I was obviously in New Orleans. Scott and Mark were not. They were watching the game at home. And so when they heard that over the broadcast, we put out our article that say that, you know, right away during the game that said Todd Munkin's calling the plays. And I actually knew that Todd Munkin was calling the plays before they texted me and before it was announced. You know how? When that when they called that QB sneak on that third what was it, the third and short or fourth and fourth and short? I think it was third and one or third, whatever. Yeah, third and one. Third and yeah. one. Third- and when they called that QB sneak, in my head, I went, Todd Munkin's calling plays. Dirk Cutter <laughs> never calls QB sneaks. Never, ever. And I don't. I have no idea why. I have no idea why Bill Belichick is the only coach in the NFL that regularly calls quarterback sneaks with a 40-year-old quarterback. And it works all the time. And when I, when I saw that work with Ryan Fitzpatrick, when I saw that they went to that QB sneak, I immediately, in the back of my head, I was like, Munkin's calling plays. It's got to be him. 
And, it was. So. And another play call that I wanted to take a second to appreciate was that first touchdown the Bucks had answered after the Saints score, and it was the uh. long bomb to Deshaun Jackson. And I had seen something come out where they had game-planned that play. That was all practiced. Um, I believe it said something along the lines of they had used that same play call against the Saints last time they played, but they had Adam Humphreys lined up in the slot. So basically what they did is they took that game, or they took that play, put the fast guy, quote, uh, D-Jax in the slot, and that's pretty much how it was drawn up. But they had practiced that play uh, time and time again, and it was just, it's still beautiful to watch. Yeah, so a little little bit of a, a background here, just for people who might be listening that aren't sure. Normally, the first, eh, I'll, I'll just say, to be safe, I'll just say the first couple of drives. The first couple of drives are scripted. They're almost fully scripted. Like they, it doesn't necessarily matter where they are on the field, what the down and distance is. They're fully scripted. They know what plays are going to go in there. They run through them in practice. They run the scripted playbook um, to start a game, and you do that to kind of take emotion out of it. Uh, you let guys be less erratic with what could happen. They've already practiced it. They're comfortable with what's going on to start the game, especially on the road. And so it makes sense that, that you said there. That they've run over that play quite a few times, but you know, you you highlighting the first touchdown, it's so I'm midway through writing my cover three right now. It's hard for me to narrow down all the plays that I want to highlight from that game because there were just oh so many that th- when they were called, they were called at the right time. He was putting his foot on the gas pedal. He never let up. Todd Munkin knew what quarterback. What coach was on that other sideline, and he knew what he had to do to get out of New Orleans with a win, and he did it. He never let the game determine how he called the plays. He knew what he had to do, and he went out and did it. And, man, hats off to that guy, for real. Yeah, and I mean, I I wanted to highlight on the second touchdown really fast because I know Trevor was a big fan of this. They Not only did they score right on the goal line, I believe it might have been first and goal or second and goal, but it was how they did it. I, I think Trevor pointed out they used an RPO, and had, had Fitzpatrick make the decision whether to to basically hand off to Peyton Barber or he could keep it and had the option to throw or run, and he, he ran, and he lowered the shoulder and scored. So when they ran that play, when they ran that RPO, Cameron Jordan was the free defensive end, where, you know, when you run an RPO, what the quarterback does is he watches the defensive end because the offensive line purposefully doesn't block the defensive end. And the reason why is because they want that defensive end to make a decision. Either they're going to stand frozen at the line of scrimmage, and if they do that, you hand it off to the running back, and that means that he'll have more room up the middle. Or if that defensive end fully crashes in and tries to go tackle the running back right away, the quarterback pulls the ball out. And you and he gets to run with it because obviously the defensive end's not there on the edge anymore, and he gets his space. Cameron Jordan at no point thought that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to keep that ball <laughs> at no point, and he fell for that so hard. And so, again, it was just you know Colin plays is often a sometimes it's even beyond like a chess match, and Munkin proved on that one that he was just a couple steps ahead of the uh, Saints defensive coordinator there. Now. Uh- Going back to uh, bringing up Fitz's you know, veteran experience and the way that he makes decisions behind the line of scrimmage, there was that last pl- or one of the last plays of the game, it was the third and 11, where Fitz scrambled and picked up the first yeah. down. You know, that was pretty enough to watch because it scared the shit out of me while I was watching it. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you look at that and you look at his instinct to pretty much go through his progressions and realize, okay, I'm going to have to scramble to pick up this first down, Something that someone else had brought up was trying to imagine what Jameis would do in that situation. And I, I got to be honest, I don't think I would be fully confident with Jameis being able to tuck it and run 11 yards. And I'm not saying that he can't tuck it and run 11 yards. It's just the decision making. And, you know, I, I feel like in that position, he would have found a way to either take the sack, force a turnover, or just get rid of the ball and not commit to running um, those 11 yards. So, I mean, does that veteran decision making come in? right there, I, I guess, is what I'm trying yes. to ask. Yeah, so doubt doubt is the 12th defender, right? I mean, like, well, I get you know, you can you could say it, you know, the crowd might be the 12th defender or something, you know, we, we hear that all the time, but I, I think that doubt um, and hesitation is, you are the 12th defender, and 
you can either be on the field as a 12th defender or not. And Ryan Fitzpatrick in no way made an extra defender uh, against New Orleans Saints. He There was no hesitation oh, yeah. the entire day of everything that he was doing, including at third 11, man. Come on. Look, I mean, just look at the writing on the wall, okay? They were up 32-40, to 40, or 32-48. Guess what? Drew Brees goes on the field. Okay, here we go. They drive the field in less than two minutes and score with ease. Go for two points, get it. Then all of a sudden, you look at the scoreboard, you go, oh, no. They, they're not going to do this, are they? They're not going to blow this, are they? No way. And then you look at the clock, and you go, there's three minutes left. If Drew Brees gets the ball again, we're going to overtime. You knew it. I knew it. Everybody in the stadium knew it. And then they, the Bucks start that drive. They end up getting a false start penalty to start it. All right, so they're already backed up. They get a couple of positive yards, and all of a sudden it's third and 11. You'll get a third and 11. That's tough. You know, with the Saints defense as focused as they are, knowing that all they need, all the Saints defense needed was one stop, and they knew that their quarterback was going to put them into overtime and score that football. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Gets it done in the most the most non Ryan Fitzpatrick way possible, and the reason why he did that <laughs> is because there was there was absolutely no hesitation in his mind. He moved yeah. the pocket when he saw pressure. He was looking downfield, and then he took when he knew that he could get the eleven yards. Boom, gone, took off, no hesitation. Yep. So, oh yeah, I yes, mean that goes into the leadership without a doubt. Well, I mean, I thought if he doesn't get that, if he doesn't get that first down, I I thought they were going to lose because. I mean, just like you said, everybody in the stadium knew what was going to happen if Drew Brees got the ball back. They were going to score a touchdown. They were going to get the two-point conversion. And there is no way in hell in that situation that the Saints are not winning that game. Yeah, in that right. situation, there's no way that the Buccaneers, unless the Bucks got the ball first in overtime, which obviously now it doesn't matter, there was no way the Buccaneers were going to win that game if it went to overtime. Yep, yeah. And the last good thing I, I do want to say, because we have talked a lot about this offense and what Fitzpatrick was able to do uh, with the play calling and just the talent on the field, one of my favorite things watching that offense go to work was the fact that Fitz was able to spread it around. Everybody mm -hmm. got a shot with that football. We saw O.J. Howard with two huge catches. We saw him just do O.J. Howard things. You saw Deshaun Jackson do Deshaun Jackson things, which we... Really haven't seen him do very much of since he's been in Tampa. Mike Evans got a touchdown on the board. It was really nice to see him spread the ball around and just let a lot of these guys go out there and do what they need to do. Uh, don't let me forget Chris Godwin either. The guy's a beast. Yeah. No, and I yeah. think that you're putting, putting the guys in the correct positions to win, again, is, is another thing that I thought, not only Munkin, but the game plan. Because they did come up with the game plan themselves, and you're seeing them use Deshaun Jackson, like you guys referenced earlier, a little bit better. You're seeing them use O.J. Howard a little bit better. Um, they're just using these guys as their strengths a lot more. At least that's what we certainly saw in that first game, and I think that's why you see them spread the ball out so much, because they have the weapons to do it. And, when, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's first, second, or third down, or who caught the last pass, or how many guys have caught pass in the games. If you put, I mean, any of the top five receiving options that the Buccaneers have in their best position to contribute, you got to like their odds. You have to like their odds almost at all times. And so that's why I, I think that you saw it was very easy for them to spread the ball out because they put their guys in, in such good positions to, to succeed. And we've sat here and we've praised the offense. The offense did a lot of great things contributing to that Bucks win in New Orleans. Let's talk about the defense, and let's start by saying the defense didn't have a terrible day. I wouldn't say it was the worst outing I've ever seen because they did put points on the board, two forced fumbles, and let me say this. I don't think the secondary looked as bad as it could have, um, and the run defense kind of did their job. They did put up good numbers, and I think it's they held, they held uh, that New Orleans ground game to, what was it, like 3.3 yards per carry? Number mm -hmm. one in the league right now. It's week one, but number one in the league right now. Um, let's talk about what the defense, you know, w what they did mess up, where the holes are there, because there's definitely holes. And, and I mean, I think that's a big reason why this game was 48 to 40 instead of 48 to 31. Yeah, some games are just going to be shootouts, uh, I think, by nature. Anytime you're going up against Drew Brees, it's, it's really hard to think that he's going to score less than 20 points. And so, with that being said, I I, I kind of get it, but, 
you know, with no Brett Grimes out there, Carlton Davis struggles a little bit going up against, you know, Mike Thomas and, and Ted Ginn. And um, the pass rush had a really difficult time getting home because Breeze gets the ball out of his hands so quick. You could see that they were trying to bring some extra blitzes, but Breeze knew exactly where the weak point was the second the ball was snapped when they were blitzing it. And so it's tough, man. That's a Hall of Fame quarterback. There's no doubt who's still playing the game. So he made it really, really tough on him. But I do think, you know, to your point, the defense has got to get better. It doesn't matter how you spin it. They can't be giving up that many points, especially down the stretch. And so I think they did a lot of really good things, especially their thirst for turnovers was really nice to see. Uh, Vernon a lot of guys that first. trying to strip the ball. Yeah, Vernon getting that Vernon getting that first strip and then Quan punching that one out there in the second half. And so you like that about it. You just got to kind of clamp down on the rest of the assignments. They've got to decide. The Bucks have got to decide what kind of team they are. Because yesterday I saw all kinds of co- like quarters coverage, and then I would see like cover one, like man up cover one. And so versatility at a point becomes – like you're diluting how good you, the strengths on your defense can be. Like t- Mike Smith says all the time, we, we've got to play to the strength of our guys. Okay, well then, which one is it? Because right now you're playing, you 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 play some cover one man, and then you'll play quarter zone off coverage. So which one is it? Which one is the strengths? Because right. you're playing both right now. So you got to be able to practice what you preach. I think in that aspect of the secondary. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, one thing that that I noticed was. The Buccaneers, in the past with their pass rush, the problem has been they've been a second late. They've been two seconds late. There was twice in this game that they had Drew Brees, and he escaped. Mm-hmm. And yeah, One was the, the Carl Nassib. He kind of hooked him. Yeah, yep, Carl Nassib. And I Nassib. believe the there next one, it was either Vinnie Curry or Jason Pierre-Paul. Because I saw a nine, and I think it was Curry because I thought I saw a seven. But... I mean, they, those have got to be sacks. Um, I mean, they, they have to be. But, I mean, really, I thought the Bucks' defense didn't have too bad of a day. But, I mean, Alvin Kamara just killed him. Yeah. I mean, everybody everybody looks at Michael Thomas' stat line and, and sees, you know, 16 receptions, over 100-yard touchdown. I think if you take out Alvin Kamara... I think the Bucks win that game handedly. I think Kamara, especially early in the game, because that first drive for the Saints, I was thinking, you know, the Bucks are going to get steamrolled. Oh yeah, and it's just like Trevor pointed out with the Saints. Always Saints in, especially in New Orleans, there's always a possibility for a shootout. But Trevor, did you seriously think that the Buccaneers would ever come on top? When the Saints scored 40 points, if, no. if I would have told you Saturday night the Saints are going to score 40 points, oh, the Buccaneers are still going to win, would you have believed me? Dude, I, I <laughs> said uh, I said in basically every radio show that I was on last week, the only way they win that game is if they win the turnover battle and it's an ugly game. I said that's the only way the Buccaneers win. And little did I know that this was even you know, in the realm of possibility, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick going full Tom Brady on him to start week one. So... It was, I never would have thought. And that's why, you know, you know, people were asking me after the game, they're like, where does that rank for you on just games that you've watched of football? And I'm kind of trying to recall some of the really cool games that I've gotten to watch both college and pro over my lifetime. And um, this one ranks right up there, if not number one, as one of the most unbelievable. And I mean that term literally, like as the game went on, I was laughing in the press box a little bit because I truly could not believe how successful they were with every single thing that they called. I mean, when Fitzpatrick fired that touchdown to Chris Godwin in the corner of the end zone in a window as small as a football, and somehow Chris Godwin not only caught it through contact but got two feet inbounds, I just laughed. I literally just started laughing. I'm like, this is the most perfect offensive performance you could ask. And you know what? I'm glad that they came out with a victory because holy cow, would that have been depressing to try and ask guys? Well, <laughs> uh, you blew this. One, so uh, now, yeah, I mean, I I started laughing pretty good after that second Deshaun Jackson touchdown because I mean, oh, I, I I turned to my dad and I started laughing. I was like, "Is it really this easy?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, yep. I mean, I, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, every time Fitzpatrick dropped back. Really, I I 
pretty every time the ball went up in the air, I figured the Buccaneer receiver was coming down with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't think there was any way the Saints were going to get anything positive. The Bucks only had one punt. They had four four possessions where they didn't score. One of them was at the end of the first half, which they tried, but then the holding penalty came uh, blocking the back, brought him back, and they ended up kneeling. The other one was a punt. The other one was the Chandler Catanzaro missed field goal, which he, he's got to make. But I mean, he was okay. The other the other kicks, it, but looking back at that kick, it looked to me like someone got a finger on it. I, I really haven't seen the replay of it, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then their other possession was the, the basically, the yeah. So right? they, yeah, that that was the only four possessions they did not score a point on. Crazy. And um, Crazy. kind of bouncing back to uh, what we were talking about with some holes in the defense, and you know Alvin Kamara in general, uh, he's a guy I've never seen us able to stop. I mean, even this game, you no. know, he still put up a couple touchdowns. But win or lose, the Buccaneers always. I mean, I. He's played three games against them and has scored a touchdown, has scored two touchdowns, I think, every single one. Oh, yeah. But um, what I see most when it comes to, you know, Alvin Kamara, whenever he gets the ball, and I got to say this uh, about a lot of the plays that we saw, I don't know if it's just week one getting back to things, but I feel like this is an issue every single year for at least three or four weeks, and then we kind of get past it. But it's just open field tackling. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of situations yesterday, we saw a lot of guys just not make tackles the way that they should have been. Um, yep. And, you know, that let some big plays go, especially some of those runs that we saw uh, from Alvin Kamara. But, you know, talking about the defense yesterday as well, we did have some guys go down, some key guys in the secondary. Vernon Hargraves went down. Deshaun Jackson, we heard he had a concussion. Um, but, Trev, I wanted to toss this to you. We've got some injuries on the Bucks team. Who do we have to worry about coming up this week? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I mean, look, you, you know, you guys are as in the dark about Brent Grimes injury as I am. I mean, for him to all of a sudden show up on the injury report on a Friday when all they're supposed to be doing is a walkthrough is I, I we, you know, we don't know what happened. We just don't know what happened now. So that's going to be something I'll have to monitor. But look, I mean, we're, we're recording this podcast on Monday. If I had to guess, I'd tell you that Brent Grimes is not going to play against the Eagles because you don't just magically get better from groin injuries in like a week. So um, that might be tough for them to overcome. Hargraves was in a sling. He had his arm in a sling in the locker room. So, again, they're not going to update us on any kind of injuries until middle of the week. But if you're in a sling right after the game. Now, I mean, he was all smiles because, you know, he was doing some interviews and he was all smiles because they won the game. So I'm not sure how hurt he will be, but... You know, there's a good chance that they're starting two rookies against the Eagles um, next week with the MJ getting playing time and, and Davis getting playing time. And so they uh, as well, I think that's the that's the, the other big one. Obviously, if I had to bet, I would say that he's not going to play against Philly, but I would say that he is going to play against the Steelers the week after. So that's just what I would say right now. Obviously, it's a Monday. There's a lot to be learned this week, but. Uh, those are kind of the defensive injuries that that I remember. Did I miss one? Did I miss any? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't think um, anyone else went down. I know Justin Evans went down, but ultimately did come back. No, he was game. fine. Yeah, he was fine. Yeah. Um, that's a shame because of Vernon Hargraves. I thought he played very well. Um, and, I, and you I, I had thought, even you had said on the pregame show, you said I'm expecting a Vernon Hargraves I, turnover today. You said an interception, I, but you got a fourth yeah, fumble, and I mean, yeah. I was. The Buccaneers, that, that kind of concerns me. They're like, okay, turnovers are great any way you can get turnovers. But I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just a bit nitpicky. This team didn't really get interceptions in the preseason. And now Drew Brees dropped back a lot. 45 and, times, I think. Yeah, and they didn't even get close to an interception there. I mean, you know, interceptions are more common than fumbles. And I think the Bucks had one interception all preseason it was ryan smith at the end of the first game so that's i don't know just to nope. me and carlton davis in college not really known for getting picks so right they need they need brent crimes back right right now when it comes to you know not really getting close to any picks yesterday could you relate that back to some rookie mistakes because i mean you know you did have guys like carlton and mj in the game for a little bit and Carlton Davis, he went out there and, and, and did his best, but there were a lot of mistakes we saw from him in particular. So, 
I mean, does that put you at ease at all? Well, <laughs> I guess I mean, knowing that it's two rookies. It, it, it's a tough, it's a tough break for those guys. I mean, I don't know. I, I think Verna, um, Carlton Davis was, was expecting to get a lot of playing time. I don't know how much playing time MJ Stewart was expecting with, I mean, because we all thought Grimes was going to play really right. uh, up until Friday morning when, when Greg Allman tweeted that Grimes is now listed as doubtful. I mean, he wasn't even, this guy went from not being on the injury report to being doubtful. Um, and yeah. after and after a training camp where the Buccaneers basically, I mean, you guys, Scott, Mark, and, and Trevor on their podcast basically said, you know, hey, maybe it's in his contract. Oh, I'm not doing training camp, stuff like that. And, and he, then he comes out the first week of real, like, practice preparation for a game, and, and this happens. I mean, that that's not good. So right. I, I, do, I do think that the rookies did play their best. I mean, it's it's a tough assignment. Oh, you know, Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn is just one of those guys, man. He's always going to be solid. And, of course, it's Drew Brees, and it's it's an away game, which is tough for any defense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you you got you to gotta hope they get better. Big thing with the Eagles is they're likely going to be missing Alshon Jeffrey, which is going to help. Um, they're working out like a bunch of receivers this week. I think Corey Coleman, Brashad Perryman. And they obviously could be without their starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. So if the Eagles, uh, I mean, the thing about the Bucks defense, I think Trevor, before he has to head out of here, I think Trevor can agree with me. And, I mean, we can get maybe Trevor's uh, little preview, little, like, 30-second preview or so for this Sunday's game. The Bucks defense always seems to play a bit better at home. Yeah. Uh, for, no, For some reason. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there. They're going to play better at home. That's just the de- you know that's defense in general. Just because you have the crowd behind you, you've got a lot of noise, and and you're hoping that that really energizes you. And um, Nick Foles has been a bit of a buck killer uh, the last couple of times that he's he's played in Tampa Bay. But look, man, I thought that the Saints game was the game that they had no chance in. And when I predicted yeah. the Bucks, when I predicted the Bucks season uh, game by game, I said that Philly was going to be the game that they won out of the three that they didn't have with Winston. So I actually predicted them to beat the Eagles at home and then lose to the, to the Steelers next week on Monday Night Football. But, guys, the Steelers looked bad. Oh, the Steelers, yeah. The Steelers looked like crap. And so now I'm sitting here, the Bucks are 1-0, and and I'm like, 3 and they really go 3-0? and you're get, Yeah, you're getting less scared of these matchups that they have. I was just talking today about how bad the Steelers did look. I mean, Big Ben threw what? 5, 6 interceptions? I don't know. I don't know how many three. I don't know how many three. interceptions he threw, but I know it was not a good game. 3. I think okay. 3, 3, but he, I think he had a fumble, so four total turnovers, but I mean, Trevor, I, I got one more question before you have to head yeah. out. Let's say that the Bucks are 3 and 0. Okay, I would just, uh-huh, I here would we go. I, uh, here we I, go. No, I, this, here this we is, go. There's a bit of a there's a bit of a different take, a different little twist on this one, though. Oh man! Let's say let's say they go three and zero, and then let's say they start Fitzpatrick week four. Mm-hmm. You have the okay. Let's say the Bucks win four and zero. You have the bye week week five. Do you start Winston week six because you have the bye week? Winston's gonna it's gonna be a short week after Pittsburgh against the Bears defense that gets after it. So do you consider starting Winston? I mean, assuming I mean Fitzpatrick, I think we all know he's not going to do what he did on Sunday again. That's I think that you know, and, and as we've had this discussion, if you would have asked me this a week ago, I would have said no. There's there's no way that Fitzpatrick's going to keep starting. No, it's just not going to happen. They're going to go back to Jameis. They have to go back to Jameis. If they weren't going to go back to Jameis in all circumstances, then you wouldn't have kept him through all his off. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what I'm saying. Exactly. But but I also didn't really think that what we saw last Sunday against the Saints was even possible. So here's what the caveat is. It depends how they're winning. You know, if Fitzpatrick really cools down to where he's almost a game manager against uh, Chicago and uh, Pittsburgh, and they're almost kind of like squeaking out of these games with wins, even if they are wins, then that obviously opens the door much wider for Winston to come in and play, especially after with a bye week coming up and then going to New Orleans. However... If Ryan Fitzpatrick is the reason they're winning these next four games, oh man, he's gonna start in Atlanta. You can't pull. Yeah, him. yeah. So, I mean, I never thought. I truly, and I, I one hundred percent admit that I was wrong because I never thought that this was gonna be a thing. But now, for the first time, I actually think there's a possibility that 
Fitzpatrick not only starts week four, but perhaps week six. Now, oh, a lot of games, man. a lot of games to go before then. So we'll have to see just yeah. how the Buccaneers perform. But if you're asking me if there is a possibility, yeah, there is now after what I watched well, today. Well, I mean, I just I just want to say to a lot of the Bucks fans, this doesn't really signify the end of Winston. I mean, Fitzpatrick is a 35 year old quarterback who's who's been a, who's been a journeyman. I mean, right. Just because he, you, you got to ride the hot hand at times. You know, and yeah, I mean, Winston's 24 years old. Uh, I, I believe Scott said that, too. I mean, Fitzpatrick isn't the future. Winston's the future. No, I mean, with Winston's preseason, I mean, you know, he's earned the right to start. It's just if Fitzpatrick literally is four and oh, that puts the Bucks probably, I would say at that point, the best team in the NFL statistic wise. Yes. yes. With Ryan Fitzpatrick um, at the helm. Can you imagine? Yeah. I I don't see how I don't see how you start Jameis Winston. And maybe that that's not a bad thing, really. I mean, because I think all it would take is is one loss by Fitzpatrick to really to really uh to put Jameis back in. Mm-hmm. And then if so, then okay, then you're gonna roll with Winston. Uh yeah. I mean, if this doesn't signify the end of Winston, this may actually help him. <laughs> I I don't know, man. I, I'm still I'm still split on it. I wouldn't say that I believe in as much of a possibility as is Fitz starting Week Four, but you know, I I didn't believe in the possibility of Fitz putting up 48 points against the Saints. Right. Defense, well, right? but I'm I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you right now. If he plays like he did, I mean, New Orleans defense. I thought they were gonna be pretty good. The Eagles' defense is really good. If yeah. Fitz plays, if Fitzpatrick plays like he did, any half of what he did last Sunday against the Eagles, um, yeah. Well, for one, the Bucks are going to win, and two, I think Fitzpatrick will definitely start Week Four. But um, I think Trevor's got to get out of here, guys. So yeah. Um, Trevor, do you have any last-minute thoughts, comments, anything you want to anything you want to say? No, guys, I just uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast again. I always enjoy always enjoy chatting with you, even if it's for a little bit. Uh, I got my cover three for everybody listening. I got my cover three coming out on Tuesday. I'll be taking a look at obviously the phenomenal game plan that Munkin called and and the things that uh, Fitzpatrick and this offense can build on moving forward to see if it's any way sustainable, you know, and, and, and again, uh, I'll look forward to Philadelphia to see if they can get through this tough part of their schedule. Well, Trevor, it's been awesome having you on the show, man. Uh, like you said before, always great to have you on and guys, you can check him out with our friends, Mark Cook and Scott Reynolds over at Pewter Report. Trevor, thanks so much for stopping by and, uh, we'll talk to you next time, bud. Yeah, guys. Thanks. So Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report there wrapping up his segment on the show. A, a lot of good stuff. I, I mean, you know, everybody's feeling good. Everybody's feeling really good after that win. Uh, there's not a lot of bad things that you can say about that win. Everything we kind of went over is on the defensive side of the ball. I really I, I think it's as close as you can get to perfect offensively on the side of the ball. But let's take a minute here. Let's slow down and let's talk about these hot takes that just came back to back to back really quick. So... We're really discussing the possibility of Ryan Fitzpatrick starting week four and even out of the bye. Um, if he's if, <laughs> just like Trevor said, if he let's say he's three and oh, let's say the D I said the defense plays better at home. Let's say it's it's like a Jets game last year that they won. Right. Me and you were both there. Let's say Fitzpatrick manages the game. He throws a touchdown. He throws a pick. But the defense plays outstanding, and the Bucks win a close game. Both those games, then you might go back to Winston Week Four. However, Fitzpatrick puts up, you know, thirty-one points, thirty-eight points, and and the Buccaneers end up winning. I, I've, I have a hard time seeing Week Four. Um, I personally, I think Winston. I, I think Winston should start Week Four, but it wouldn't surprise me. No matter how Fitzpatrick plays, and it's because of this, Winston technically will be without is without football for like five weeks, right? right? I mean, no contact with the team at all, right? No, no, there's nobody to hit him. He's gonna get a little rusty. They play Monday night against Pittsburgh, and then they play Sunday against Chicago. So you're bringing your quarterback back on a on short, a short week. week 
against the Bears defense that just added Khalil Mack. They're a scary defense. They gave Aaron Rodgers fits before the fourth quarter last night. I, and it's in Chicago. I don't know if I like that idea. I like the I mean, Atlanta's not an easy place to play either. But I like the idea much more of bringing him back against Atlanta. With the bye week, he has time to prepare, get some practice time. I like the idea much better. But Fitzpatrick goes out there and beats the Bears 38-10 to and throws three touchdowns and no picks. Guess who's starting week six? Because well, uh, okay, ultimately, the- ultimately, the, it's about wins. I mean, it, it truly is. So okay, let's let's present this situation then. Let's say, let's say Fitzpatrick does get the start against the Bears. I, I get what you mean about bringing your franchise quarterback in on a short week. Um, I, I totally understand that. But let's say it's game day situation. The Buccaneers are up twenty-four to seven at halftime. Why don't you throw Jamison in the second half? Kind of bring him back in and put him up against the team that's already a little fatigued, that's already behind. And I don't want to say that so he has room for error because you really hope that you know he doesn't go out there and make a lot of errors, but he is going to be rusty, and you're going to have to forgive him for that for whenever he plays again because it's just going to happen, and there's nothing we can do about that. But how do you feel about that situation, throwing him into the half? Because I feel like that's at least something to get him going especially going into the bye week, so he just knows what to expect. Why would you risk him getting injured, though? Because if he goes down, then you're definitely with Fitzpatrick. And, I mean, you're up 24-7. to The game's not over, so, I mean, it's not like you're just going to have to, you know, hand the ball off. Yeah, James here. You, you can throw the ball twice, three times, whatever, get a little, get a little rust off. I mean, the game's not over, right? So... I don't think they would do that, and especially how Dirk Cutter is with trying to protect guys. I seriously don't think they would do that. Um, I think if Winston plays at all in that Chicago game, it's he's going to play start to finish. Okay. Uh, so I mean, and and I I, I said I thought Jameis sitting behind Fitzpatrick was a good thing, just because of James's comments last year when he sat behind Fitzpatrick when he was injured. Okay, he's sitting on that sideline. He's able to tell how Fitzpatrick reacts to certain situations, and he's able to hear what Fitzpatrick has to say. Um, but yeah, so I hate to really dampen the mood on this podcast that was pretty good, right? <laughs> but one last thing I have to say before we head out. I'm interested to see what this team does this week because, yes, Dirk Cutter is 3-0 and in, home, in, in openers, season openers. Yes, they have looked impressive in all those openers. You know what happens the next week? They get embarrassed. They, they It happened. They beat Atlanta in 2016. They went to Arizona and got crushed. They got outplayed, outmanned, out, you know, physically Same thing happened dominated. last year against Minnesota. And, that, and they, they dominated. Dominated Chicago, went to Minnesota and got physically crushed. And guess who's coming to town? The Philadelphia Eagles, who are one of the most physical teams in the NFL. They have probably one of, if not the best offensive line, and one of, if not the best defensive line. It, it's, I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know. And it's, it's something that I'm definitely very, very excited to see. This week coming up, Bucks home opener face Philly, the Super Bowl champions in Tampa. Like you said, that defense always plays better in Tampa, so that's something that we do have to look forward to uh, in this week coming up. So we will definitely keep an you, well, ear you out. Hope, you hope they play better. Yeah, yeah, but definitely <laughs> keep an ear out on that. But guys, before we wrap up the show, we've got one last segment for you here, and it's going to have a little bit more to do with the game that was played yesterday in New Orleans. A hell of a game. We've talked about it enough. But we're going to go over our offensive and defensive MVPs for yesterday's win in New Orleans. So I'm going to go offensive first, um, and then I'll toss it to you. And then we'll go back here to defeat uh, to defensive MVPs, and then I'll toss it to you once again. So my offensive MVP, I mean, it's easy to say Ryan Fitzpatrick because who else, right? Um, i, I got to give it to Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson stepped up yesterday in a way that I don't think we've seen him step up as a Buccaneer. Now, the punt return that I had talked about a couple of times really didn't pan out the way that I thought it would. (laughs) And watching that, you know, 
I think what happened there is that Djax is just a little slower than he remembers because I'm sure there was a time five years ago where he could have made you know four jukes like that and been 90 yards down the field. But that didn't go as planned. But two touchdowns and just showing up and being in everywhere he needed to be uh, was a, a very comfortable change that we haven't seen from him. And so you know right now he is the Buccaneers receiving leader, and that's that's awesome to see. Uh, because we are using him to the best of his ability. So my offensive MVP for yesterday's game is Deshaun Jackson, and I uh, hope he bounces back from that concussion. We probably won't see him next week. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's actually hard because there are so many. You know, Deshaun Jackson's one. You could say Mike Evans. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two guys here, and I'm not gonna spend mo- much time on the one because the one's self-explanatory. It's it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen anything like that. We witnessed uh, the greatest think... game of Ryan Fitzpatrick's career. When they look back at Ryan Fitzpatrick in ten years, and he has a football life on, you know, the NFL Network, they're going to talk about this game. <laughs> he's definitely an interesting. I could see him getting a football life. Oh yeah, I, I could. Because he's, I mean, normally they like to go for, like, high-profile guys, but he's a character, you know? And he's been on so, both ends of the spectrum. You know, New York fans hated him. He's been, I mean, he's been, he's thrown, I think, the seven interceptions in one game and seven touchdowns in the <laughs> next. So, and and with the beard and his contract holdout and the seven teams and seven kids, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But, and the whole Fitzpatrick cycle thing. Um, I'm going to say Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I'm also going to give it to Ryan Jensen. I think Ryan Jensen was a key part he played in that offensive light. line, allowing no sacks. No sacks. That's key. Because, the yes, the Buccaneers couldn't get to Drew Brees, but the Saints, I mean, they had no pressure on Fitzpatrick. I mean, <laughs> Fitzpatrick, look, watch that. You want to see the offensive line. Watch that first touchdown from pass. I could have thrown that ball with that with that pocket. He had <laughs> a, absolutely so much space. And if Fitz is an older quarterback, he can't. I mean, he ain't got the arm that Jameis has, right? I mean, he can't just he can't just sit back there and not move at all and throw the ball fifty yards down the field. He needs to step up and sling it, and the offensive line gave him plenty of space. And Ryan Jensen was a big reason why. They brought the nastiness, right? They Ryan Jensen ended up getting a personal foul penalty, but guess what? That sent the message, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, somebody took a cheap shot on Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Jensen went after him, man. Yeah. I mean, he went after him. And that and, was one of the things we talked about most with him coming into Tampa is just how nasty of a lineman he is. He is just – He's the energy that they needed. He, he's he's a hog. You know, he's exactly what you wanted that center position, and, and and he put on a clinic yesterday for Fitz. I mean, yeah, and he opened up holes in the run game for Peyton Barber. I thought Peyton Barber did a nice job, but yeah, Ryan Jensen. Ryan Jensen is going to be uh, is going to be my guy. Him and Fitzpatrick were were big reasons why they won. And also, I mean, shout out to Mike Evans. He picked up. I mean, I think he picked up three or four first downs on third down, including oh, yeah. the 50-yard touchdown. So, I mean, you know, shout out to him too. But, yeah, Ryan Jensen was huge. And Ryan Jensen, one of my favorite segments that I've seen come out of the Bucks um, was there was a segment. It wasn't on The Current, but it was a, like a segment they had on their YouTube channel. It was Ryan Jensen driving around Tampa trying all the different barbecue that we have. Uh, I saw that, and yeah. That, that was a pretty good one. So I think that made him – one of my favorite linemen and probably one of my favorite players on the Bucks, especially if he's got that nasty attitude. I think he's a great fit here so far. But moving on to our defensive MVPs, I'm going to give mine to a guy that was just everywhere yesterday. I mean, he was all over the place, and he had a couple of big stops, and that's Quan Alexander. I mean, he was doing his thing yesterday. Lai Tyrilla balled out. Yeah. I mean, he had to be all over the place. I mean, him and Levante were... We're big factors in the game. Uh, I'm going to go with Justin Evans um, okay. because, for one, that that penalty was complete horse crap. Um, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, this is uh, 
we try to keep it as PG as possible, or else I would have said something else. But um, yeah, that was that was garbage. Um, he he made a play on the ball, and he didn't. I mean, his forearm hit the dude's neck, and they called it a, a you know a defenseless receiver hit the head. Yeah. I that, that's dumb. But Justin Evans had he had that that fumble recovery, which Vernon Hargraves you know uh, forced. Quan Alexander also forced a fumble. So so your guy he forced a fumble. Which was big because the Saints were driving down there. And, um, yeah, so Justin Evans, then he had the, the awareness to run in for the touchdown. That was great. Oh, yeah. But really good the big thing. thing, the big thing to me, hold on. The big thing to me was <laughs> something you may or you may, you may remember, but a, a, the, the casual fan may not remember. It was a third down. I believe it was third and eight. And Drew Brees had dropped back. And... He had tossed it to Mike Thomas short, right over the middle of the field. And Justin Evans picked up Mike Thomas, who's bigger than him, and slammed him to the ground and forced the Saints to punt. That was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Really good thing to see is that second-year guy coming into his own, especially since we had talked about you know he's going to have a much bigger role in that secondary at the safety position. We knew he was going to be special last year, but week one, he's picking up right where he left off. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, whether it's on YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play Music. You can follow the show on Instagram at Cannon Fire Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Cannon Fire Pod. And you can follow my co-host Evan at Bucks Football on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our partners at PewterReport.com for some of the best Bucks coverage in the game, including Trevor Sycamore's Cover 3, which he said should be dropping Tuesday. And check out our sponsors at CoolTowel.com. Stay cool this summer. It's Bucks season, hottest time of the year, and it sucks. If you you ever gone to a Bucks game, uh, you ever gone to a one o'clock Bucks game, and you see those red plastic chairs, and before you even sit down, you can just feel the heat radiating off of them. If you take an ice out of your souvenir soda and drop it, it melts in a couple of seconds. But Cool Towel is there to help you stay cool throughout that entire game. So make sure you check them out at CoolTowel.com. I am Rhett, signing off for Evan, and we will see you next time. Buccaneers are 1-0, and it is a great feeling. Catch you guys next week. Go Bucks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.